Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 518. Welcome into the podcasting pickup. Uh, weather report today, very bright and sunny. It's November. The sun is at a sideways angle, basically, no matter where you go. Feels like no matter what time of day you're at, even at noon, it's still sideways. Uh, it's orange and bright, very windy today. I would, I prefer the dark and stormy vibe, but I can't provide that today. Anyway, uh, I watched football all day Saturday, all day Sunday. It was a glorious weekend in the football world. Got my notes all together. Watch Monday Night Football. Here we are. It is Tuesday, right around noon. And uh, I want to go back in time to Monday morning because there was big news on Monday morning. The Colts fired their head coach, Frank Reich. Uh, that comes right after a loss, 26-3 to New England. Uh, also, the week after firing their offensive coordinator, Marcus Brady, in kind of a desperate attempt to make something happen. Uh, and also benching Matt Ryan, their quarterback, for their young guy, Sam Ellinger. So, Frank Reich is out in Indy. I think it's worth saying that Frank Reich is going to be totally okay. I think he's going to be hired somewhere else as an offensive coordinator. Last time he was an offensive coordinator, he did a great job. He won a Super Bowl with a backup quarterback, Nick Foles, in Philly. Uh, I Look, I, I hear his name being thrown around in Pittsburgh if they fire Matt Canada. If Eric Bieniemy gets hired away from Kansas City, maybe he goes there to work with Andy Reid. Frank Reich is awesome like as a human being, and I think he's going to be better off as an offensive coordinator where he will have less responsibility and I've got complete confidence that whenever he gets hired somewhere else, he's going to do a great job and be successful. Now, Frank Reich was in his fifth year uh, as a head coach in Indy. He actually left with a winning record. He was 40-33-1 in the regular season. You know, that's not terrible. I'm not going to lie. I have seen coaches kept with their current team with a worse record and a worse winning percentage. He was 1-2 and two in the playoffs. He won a playoff game. Uh, and in one sense... I feel really bad for Frank Reich because from his perspective, can you imagine he got hired in 2018 to be the coach of the Colts, believing that he was going to have Andrew Luck as his starting quarterback to get Andrew Luck for one year in 2018. Uh, Andrew Luck had a great year, made the pro bowl and then retired the next year before the year even started at 29 years old. That's tough, man. I, I really, I hope that doesn't get overlooked in the history of Frank Reich and how he's remembered in Indy. He was supposed to have Andrew Luck, and he never got him. And I would imagine Andrew Luck is a big part of why he even took that job with the Colts. Instead, Frank Reich had a different quarterback every year he was in Indy. Jacoby Brissett, Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, not to mention all the other guys that played here and there. It's just really unfortunate the way things went down for Frank Reich. Um, he was never a great head coach, but he's a, he seems like a really nice man. And certainly was a great offensive coordinator. And I would have loved to see what could have happened if maybe he'd had Andrew Luck the last five years instead of a cacophony of all these different guys. I mean, it's very possible and, in fact, more likely that Frank Reich would have been very successful the last five years and probably still have a job as the Colts head coach. Um, I also think, though, that Frank Reich is probably better off leaving Indy. Here's why I say that. Indy's a tough situation because of their owner, Jim Ursay. He's kind of a loose cannon, and I'm going to get hate for saying this. I don't really care. Uh, Jim Ursay says whatever he wants, kind of does whatever he wants. I think he ran Carson Wentz out of town. 
I, there are a lot of things behind the scenes that I, I would not want to work for Jim Mersey because he's kind of controlling. Now, it's his money. His team, he gets to do whatever he wants, but I would be frustrated as I hit my table. I would be frustrated working with for Jim Ursay. And the story isn't over here because the Colts have now hired Jeff Saturday as their interim head coach. Jeff Saturday played in Indy for 13 years as a center, uh, snapping to Peyton Manning all through the Peyton Manning era. He was a six-time Pro Bowl center. He's really only ever coached high school football. But it's not like Jeff Saturday doesn't know the game at all. He played in the NFL for 14 years, 13 of them in Indy. But I will say this is a very weird solution to the Colts' problems. Um, Jeff Saturday was not on the Colts' coaching staff. He was actually working for ESPN as an analyst. Again, I said this a second ago. Jim Mercer, the Colts owner, does whatever he wants. Uh, Apparently, we're told Jeff Saturday was working for the team as a consultant, so technically it's a hire from within, which allows the Colts to get around the Rooney rule. But I, I have never seen um, an NFL team hire an interim head coach from the outside. There was once upon a time, I remember Wisconsin football, their head coach moved on to be the general manager. Uh, they fired someone, or sorry, their head coach moved on to be the athletic director, I believe. Then he stepped uh, he, he took time as the athletic director to also be the head coach or something. There was some t- like movement from AD, head coach to athletic director, then back to head coach when they fired their coach for like a brief period. But it's I, that's like the only parallel I can even think of is Wisconsin football that one time of the guy whose name I'm forgetting. I have never seen an NFL team hire an interim head coach from the outside who wasn't already on the coaching staff. It's just weird. And I'm really of the mind that Jim Mersey has to back off and leave football to football people. Now, the, these are, you know, I, I think of Jerry Jones in Dallas, Jim Mersey. These are billionaires. They own a football team for a reason. They're a football fan, and they want to make decisions. I, I get it. But I, I think the best owners hire really smart people and get out of the way. And Jim Mersey right now is, I, in my opinion, interfering with football decisions. Uh, the, the fan base is split. I know Jim Mersey is really popular in this fan base. But I, I would never trust him, and I would never want to work for him. It sounds like a horrible, horrible thing to do. Um, the Colts are in a very weird spot. They got rid of their head coach. They fired their offensive coordinator. I would imagine Jeff Saturday is going to have the players that you know are really going to like him and be on his side. Because, again, he played in the NFL for 14 years. He's an awesome dude. I also love offensive linemen. Offensive linemen in general have a really cool spirit about them that – is underrated and kind of a cool personality type normally. Um, so I don't know, man. Jeff Saturday has nothing to lose. I, I'm not trying to hate on Jeff Saturday or say he's going to do terrible. I think from his perspective, it's worth a shot. Try to help your old team that you love. I'm sure this felt like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And, and actually, he has nothing to lose truly because if the Colts lose a bunch of games, all it's going to do is help them be in position to get a better first-round pick. At minimum, I would hope he can help fix the offensive line because they've woefully underperformed this year. But it's a very weird situation. I've never seen someone just hire an ESPN analyst to come in midseason and be their head coach. Like, that just doesn't happen. It's it's not quite that cut and dry because he does have history with the franchise. Apparently, he was working as a consultant, we're told. It better be true because, again, they circumvented the Rooney rule. Um, And and I'm rooting for Jeff Saturday. I hope he does well. I like him as a person. Like, he's... Awesome in interviews uh, always throughout his career, and I like him as an analyst. 
Um, and I hope he can help the offensive line at minimum. I just, it's a weird experiment. I'm not really sure what's going to happen with Jeff Saturday. If anything, I think it reflects more poorly on the owner, Jim Ursay for just consistently sticking his nose where, in my opinion, it doesn't belong. Although he would tell you, I'm the owner. I get to do whatever I want. So again, I think you leave football, the football people, you're a great businessman. You're a billionaire owner. Be a fan and hire smart people. But I, I just, it's, it's too tempting for these owners, man. They can't afford, sorry, they, they can afford to, they can't get their, I think, ego out of the way. And they're, they're too excited about things and want it, things done their way and think they know better. But, uh, you know, historically, the most historic, own, you know, the most uh, successful owner probably in the modern era is Robert Kraft in New England, who he let Belichick run things the way he wanted. He won six Super Bowls, you know, more successful than any owner, other owner ever because he got out of the way, he hired smart football people and backed off. And even when his boy Tom Brady was getting pushed out of New England, he trusted Bill Belichick. Well, that remains to be seen if that was the right thing to do or not. But my point is, I hate a meddling owner. I think Jim Ursay is. And uh, we'll see if Jim Ursay can turn things around for the Colts. Since Peyton Manning left, they haven't done a lot. They had a couple brief years with Andrew Luck. They didn't, you know, didn't support him properly. He retires early. Uh, we've seen a meddling owner in Dallas, Jerry Jones, chase a Super Bowl for years and fail and fail and fail and fail. So, um, I don't know. Rooting for Jeff Saturday. Nothing against him. But you have to acknowledge it's very weird to hire a guy off the streets or right out of the ESPN broadcasting uh, studio to be your interim head coach. Now, uh, my favorite game this past weekend by far was Miami at Chicago. The Dolphins beat the Bears 35-32. to And honestly, I could not have picked a better way for things to play out in this game if I just written a script myself. It was crazy. Uh, both quarterbacks played very well, and neither of them had a turnover, Tua and Justin Fields. Miami won, which I, I if I could have made a decision beforehand, I would have wanted Miami to win because they need to win more to stay in contention, and losing for Chicago actually helps them get closer to a higher draft pick, which, let's be honest, the Bears aren't going to win a Super Bowl this year, so at this point, I hope they're Winning, I hope the Bears are really competitive and lose a lot of close games the rest of the year because every loss gets them a better player that's going to help Justin Fields, their young quarterback. Uh, I also love that Justin Fields played really well in this game. If anything, you can blame the refs. There should have been a pass interference call uh, at the end of the game called on uh, you know in favor of Chase Claypool. The defender didn't let Chase Claypool jump up. So I like it because you walk away going, hey, since Justin Fields played great, it's really hard to blame him for the loss. And the fact that Chicago's offense was able to keep up with Miami's high-powered offense, Tua, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, I think it says a lot about how far things have come for the Bears' offense. I've been tracking them all year. It's crazy. Like, this was my dream game. Chicago against Miami. These are my two favorite teams to watch all year. It's been fun to watch their development. I've been checking in with them every week. And the way it played out was great, man. You know, Justin Fields and Tua— Put on a show. It was a blast. Justin was 17 for 28 passing with uh, 123 yards, three touchdown passes, two to Cole Komet, one to Darnell Mooney on a beautiful throw. No interceptions, no fumbles. Plus, Justin Fields ran 15 times for 178 yards and another touchdown. Justin Fields had this play on third and six where he scrambles, 
ran for a 61-yard touchdown. He's weaving through defenders, and it was unreal. It was like, man, this is a... I had two thoughts. It's a video game play. Like, you, you make that play in Madden more than you see it happen in real life. And also, there's only two people in the NFL who can make a run like that on a third and six for a 61-yard touchdown. It's Lamar Jackson and Justin Fields. And I, I love seeing this guy do well. I remember at the time of the NFL draft saying... I don't know what's going to happen in Justin Fields, but I would draft him in a heartbeat. I watched him play in the college football playoff. Dude's a playmaker. I can teach him how to play football if I'm a, a coach at all. And I'm so happy to see him getting good coaching and good support. And I didn't think that he was going to get good support this year. So it's, it's glorious what's going on. It's also worth saying that Justin Fields does a great job avoiding big hits either by sliding or going out of bounds. As much as Justin runs, I think actually Tua on the other side of the, the field, Tua Tungvaloa, the quarterback from Miami, he actually takes way more big hits than Justin Fields does because Justin gets down, man. He avoids hits, and I think that's going to really help extend his career and keep him healthy because he's only good if he's healthy and can run and available to his football team. I also, man, I got to give a shout out to Bears offensive coordinator, Luke Getze. He's gotten better and better and better as the year has gone on uh, as a play caller, man. He's embracing Justin Fields' ability to run. You see bootlegs and sprint outs on third and fourth down. He's using that ability to run and doing creative stuff with it. He is also doing creative stuff in general. You saw direct snaps to David Montgomery in kind of a wildcat set. You saw in this game against Miami, um... Cole Komet, the tight end, goes under center and ran a quarterback sneak for a first down, taking something from the Kansas City Chiefs, which they've done with Travis Kelsey. I love it, man. Uh, the Bears offense has really impressed me these last couple weeks, and Justin Fields keeps getting better and better, and his understanding of defenses is making him into a really dangerous weapon and making him into a player that's going to be really hard for defenses to stop as he goes Oh, that's man coverage. I can take it and run. There's no one on me. I'm seeing a QB spy or I'm not. Or even when they do do a QB spy, there was a play on a, gosh, is it third and eight or third and six where he ran for a first down and Miami had a QB spy, meaning there was a guy dedicated where the defender's sole purpose was to follow Justin Fields. And if he ran, track him down. And in spite of that, it didn't matter. Justin Fields still ran for a first down. It was crazy. And man, Chicago, by the way, um, they lead the NFL in rushing. They are over 200 yards ahead of the next team, Baltimore. In fact, it's 246 yards because I did the math because I'm a crazy person. So there are just so many ways Justin Fields can beat you now. Running the football, throwing the football. He's reading defenses really well. As he develops, it's getting scarier and scarier. And, you know, not very many quarterbacks have, I think, the capacity to be like, the best quarterback in the NFL. I look at, you know, Mac Jones in uh, New England. It's just limited physically. You can't run around. There, there are ways that he just isn't able to beat you. Justin Fields has the talent level where he could become a Patrick Mahomes. He could become a Josh Allen where defenses go, our hands are tied. We have no idea how to stop this guy because everything we do, he makes us wrong, whether he's running or throwing and that ability to run is just insane. Yeah, it was. I have in my notes here. It was a third and eight where he ran away from a quarterback spy and ran for a first down. Also on that play, avoiding a crazy sack. It's just awesome. He made a beautiful touchdown pass to Darnell Mooney. Um, 
the way this game ended was ugly. There should have been a pass interference call made in favor of Chicago. Miami's defender literally is pulling Chase Claypool to the ground um, and didn't allow him to jump up. So what I like about that, though, the outcome is, hey, you can't even blame Justin Fields. Like, they blame the refs. He played a great game, did everything he could pretty much. And uh, I, I walked away very, very satisfied watching Chicago's offense. Um, now, one thing that cost Chicago, Miami got a touchdown when they blocked a punt. That's not great. But I want to talk about Tua Tungvaloa, Miami's quarterback here, because Tua was 21 for 30 passing with 302 yards, three touchdown passes. His top two receivers, Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill had seven catches for 143 yards and a touchdown. Jalen Waddell, five catches, 85 yards and a touchdown. And watching Tua, it just looks like Drew Brees. I mean, he really is just left-handed Drew Brees. It's kind of scary, too. He also missed, Tua missed Jalen Waddell open on a deep ball, third and 11, down the left sideline late in the game. That could have been a touchdown as well. So with really good stats and a really great game, Think about this. Two has got room to grow. It could be even better, which sounds bad, but I think it's actually really impressive when you go, oh, there, there's still more ceiling to reach for Tua. It's also just so cool to see Tua do well in general. Miami was considering giving up on him, uh, you know, last year. There was a point where, like, should we go get Deshaun Watson? Do we even want to keep Tua? Should we draft another quarterback? Uh, well, we're in year three with Tua. And I, I always say year three is the year that you dial up the pressure a little bit for a young quarterback. The first two years they're learning, you start to raise your expectations for Tua. And Tua, because he's not a guy who can run for 61 yards on third and six, he's not incredibly mobile. He's got a smaller arm. I'm like, he's got to be really accurate of great anticipation and play really well this year. The pressure was on. Tua's delivering. He's playing at a really high level. And Miami 6-3, two is dominating. They're 6-0 when he plays a full game. This is why I believe teams got to be patient with their young quarterbacks. You got to give your young quarterback a real shot to succeed. You can't give them terrible coaching and a bad offensive line and only a year and a half and then go, ah, they suck next. Like, no, 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 no. Tua, honestly, like on paper, didn't have a lot of reasons you should keep investing in him. He isn't super tall. He can't run for 61 yards. He's not super physically imposing. But look at what's happening when you give him patience and support. Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? He looks outstanding. He's one of the best quarterbacks throwing the football right now. He's just dominating. And I think Kenny Pickett and Zach Wilson are quarterbacks that right now get a lot of flack and a lot of people don't believe they could potentially succeed. I, I say, look at Tua. Give it time. Give it patience. Your young quarterback can be successful. Not not guaranteed. Some guys don't work hard. Some guys just don't have it. Trubisky. Mitchell Trubisky was a guy in Chicago who I gave up on pretty early because I'm like, look, he just doesn't have it. You you can tell when they do. But when you see a young, young quarterback who gives you flashes and potential, like we've seen to Kenny Pickett, like we've seen to Zach Wilson, you be patient. And two is an example of what can happen when you are patient and you give your young quarterback great receivers to throw to, good coaching, support, and, uh, you know, Look what's happening with Justin Fields in Chicago. Getting support. Getting good receivers around him. Getting good coaching that's catering to him. And he's becoming wildly successful and hard to stop. I want to give one more shout-out, too, to Miami's head coach, Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel is far and away my favorite coach in any level of football. College, high school, pro. I love the guy. I love how he has risen to the moment. You know, first-year ever head coach. When he was hired, a lot of people were like, 
who who is this guy? And I, I listened to him in interviews. I'm like, he's really fun. I don't know if he's going to succeed, but he's certainly fun to listen to. Um, and I love the way he interacts with Tua. I love everything about Mike McDaniel. I'm a huge fan. And there was, in fact, there's this great moment after this game, or maybe it's this week, where he's talking about, you know, yeah, I kept telling Justin Fields to stop scrambling. He wouldn't listen. He just kept running and running, which is kind of a fun joke. Like, that's his sense of humor. It's He's got personality. He's a great coach. Uh, he also never gives away revealing answers. He's humorous, but I would compare Mike McDaniel to Mike Leach, the quarterback in, or the head coach in college at Mississippi State. I, I was around Mike Leach a lot at Washington State. There are many ways to answer a question and also not give away good information. Bill Belichick, the Patriots head coach, historically just says nothing. One, two-word answers, never gives the media anything. And that's, that's fine, but it doesn't make anyone like you. It doesn't ingratiate people to you. Mike Leach in college will never really give you a straight answer about football, but he will go off on tangents about all kinds of stuff, weddings, pirates, girlfriends, ice cream flavors, movies. Like, he'll talk about anything basically except football. Mike McDaniel has his own strategy to find a way to answer questions without also giving up information. And I I just find it really fascinating and and fun to listen to. Um, I just, all around, Miami at Chicago was by far my favorite game of the weekend. And I had a blast watching it and taking notes about it. And... I'm so glad these two young quarterbacks, Justin Fields and Tua Tungavaloa, both were great. That makes my heart really happy because I, I want to see them both succeed. And, uh, oh, man, it was awesome. Now, uh, another game that I thought was pretty awesome. The Jets beat Buffalo on Sunday 20-17. to There are two big storylines from this game. Number one in this game, uh, the Jets' previous game against New England, um, their quarterback, Zach Wilson, was kind of reckless with the football. He threw three interceptions. And I didn't expect the Jets to win this game. All I wanted from this game was that their young quarterback, Zach Wilson, would make progress and play a cleaner football game. I'm like, hey, just no reckless, crazy throws. Protect the football. And I am happy to report that not only did Zach Wilson make no stupid throws against Buffalo, but also the Jets surpassed my expectations and found a way to win this football game. Um... Zach Wilson was 18 for 25 passing for 154 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. He did lose a fumble, which I don't love. Uh, He got sacked by Von Miller, was holding onto the ball with one hand. You got to have two hands on the football when you're moving around. Really, anytime, hopefully, but especially within the pocket. He got hit, ball got stripped. That's not great, but that's, that's an easy coaching point. You do a drill all week. Hey, Zach, two hands on the football. To me, Zach Wilson's potential is obvious, and... He's only in his second year. I believe in year three is when you start to raise your expectations uh, during uh, a quarterback's career. And there was a big play Zach Wilson made on third and nine where he ran for a first down. And that's the kind of play that makes you, I think, is the reason you remain patient for Zach Wilson. A lot of people were throwing Zach Wilson under the bus and ready to give up and say he's hopeless after losing to the Patriots and throwing three interceptions, and let's call it like it is. Zach Wilson had a terrible game two weeks ago against New England. But I said, hey, stay patient. Look, he's young. Give him time. He's got potential, obviously, and look where the Jets are now. They just beat arguably the best team in the NFL, Buffalo. And it was an awesome win. Zach Wilson made a lot of great plays. 
Buffalo was actually up 14 to 3 in the second quarter. So the offense had to fight back. The defense had to make plays and get some stops. And that leads me to storyline number two, which is this. Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills quarterback, had kind of an off day. But also, the Jets finally, finally looked like a team that has a defensive head coach. Robert Sala, their head coach, was a brilliant defensive coordinator for the 49ers. He took them to a Super Bowl. Now, in his time as head coach of the Jets, the last year and a half, roughly, the Jets' defense has been really underwhelming. And I'm like, are you sure this is his specialty? Like, are you sure Robert Sala was a defensive coordinator? Because it doesn't look like it. This was the game where I felt like his defense made their mark. And finally, I'm like, oh, maybe it just takes a year and a half for them to make progress. They got a lot of young players. And, you know, Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen, had kind of an off day through two interceptions. Both of them were bad, by the way. Both of Josh Allen's interceptions were throws where I was like, bro, what are you doing? And there was one where he's rolling right. There's kind of pressure in his face. That's the benefit, by the way, of getting pressure on a quarterback is when there's bodies in his face, it makes it harder to see downfield. I think literally he didn't even see the linebacker underneath on his first interception. Um, And Josh Allen, in fact, should have had three interceptions because Jordan Whitehead caught one, but also dropped one where it would have been his second interception on the day. The Jets were getting a ton of pressure on Josh Allen all game long. They made his life difficult. And uh, it's it's just cool, man. I love seeing what the Jets did. All around, it was an awesome game. Their running backs, Michael Carter and James Robinson, have already become a good one-two punch. Um, you know, they just traded for James Robinson after Brees Hall, their running back, got hurt, tore his ACL out for the year. I mean, when they come back next year, you got Brees Hall, James Robinson, and Michael Carter. James Robinson in this game ran 13 times for 48 yards. Michael Carter had 12 carries for 76 yards and a touchdown run. I just thought, as you look around the Jets roster, they're a really, really young team, but it's a young team with young guys making plays. Sauce Gardner had a big stop at the end of the game, had an interception. Zach Wilson made some clutch throws on third down. Um, First-round receiver Garrett Wilson had eight catches for 92 yards. Just young talent everywhere across this Jets locker room. And I walked away from the Jets' victory over Buffalo feeling like, this is progress, man. Like, Zach looks really good. The defense is, is getting better. And I've got a lot of hope uh, for the future of the Jets. I think good things are coming in New York. How about this? Minnesota beat Washington 20-17. to It was Kirk Cousins' first game back at Washington uh, against his old team that did not want him once upon a time. Kirk won. That's cool. It's a, a fun storyline. Uh, but the biggest storyline to me was that Taylor Heineke did not do enough playing quarterback for Washington to convince that team, Washington, to keep Carson Wentz on the bench. If Taylor Heineke, their you know, quarterback coming off the bench with Carson injured, who's been kind of a pseudo-starter before, led them to a playoff victory once upon a time. Uh, did they win a playoff game, or did they just really challenge Tampa? I can't remember. But they, they made a, a little bit of a run with Taylor Heineke once upon a time. Um, if Taylor Heineke in this football game had three touchdowns and 300 yards and won this game. That would have made things really, really tough on Washington where they would go, "Mm, you know, maybe we should keep playing Taylor because he's playing great. But the reality is that Taylor Heineke kind of let them down. He was 15 for 28 passing, had 149 yards, uh, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And 
the interception he had was really costly because Washington Washington was up 17 to 10 in the fourth quarter. And Heineke made a really poor throw over the middle. The ball went high, got picked off. That led to a Vikings touchdown, tied the game at 17. And I I love Taylor Heineke. I'm a big fan. I support the guy. I love his story. I root for him. And I'm also not really sure that Carson Wentz would have come in and done better than Taylor Heineke. But here's the problem. You're paying Carson Wentz a ton of money. And unless Taylor Heineke is killing it, three touchdowns, 300 yards, and winning games, then you're not going to... The only reason to keep Carson on the bench is if Taylor Heineke is doing incredible. If Taylor Heineke is not, which he is not killing it, you got to stay with Carson Wentz when Carson becomes healthy because you're paying him too much money to sit on the bench. In fact, Taylor Heineke had a wild completion for 49 yards to Curtis Samuel for a touchdown. It wasn't really a good decision. It was a throw up into triple coverage. He kind of got lucky it was completed. That really padded his numbers. I mean, without that catch, Taylor Heineke would have been 14 for 28 with only 100 yards, one touchdown, one interception. I have no doubt Carson Wentz can perform that way. And if you want a guy to throw balls in a triple coverage, Carson could do that all day. I just, I'm like, I've walked away, unfortunately, really disappointed that Taylor Heineke didn't really grab the moment by the horns and just run away with it. Um, They lost. He didn't play great. And uh, I think at this point, you got to go back to Carson Wentz when he's healthy. Now, Minnesota is 7-1. They got a massive lead in the NFC North. They just traded for tight end TJ Hawkinson. He already has made a big impact. In this game, TJ Hawkinson had nine catches for 70 yards, and he's still learning the offense. Can you imagine in a couple weeks when he's really fully caught up? A lot of people, when Minnesota traded for tight end TJ Hawkinson, a lot of people said he was overrated. And I just think those people are dead wrong. I totally disagree. This was a massive trade. It was a big deal. I have no idea why Detroit decided to send TJ Hawkinson to Minnesota. But, man, it's going to be a a massive move for them, and he's going to make a big impact as the year goes forward. Now, the game ended in an unfortunate way for Washington. The Vikings kicked a field goal with a minute 55 left on the four-yard line. And, you know, the kick was good, but the problem was Washington got a penalty for unnecessary roughness to hit the long snapper. That gave Minnesota a first down on the two-yard line and allowed them with that first and goal situation to run the clock all the way out before kicking a field goal with 12 seconds left and getting that 20-17 to lead. Uh, So basically that meant... Washington had no time left uh, to respond. The Vikings won 2017. And I think there's a good shot after this game, watching and kind of observing the year Minnesota's had. They're absolutely contenders, man. I don't know that they're going to win a Super Bowl and beat Buffalo or Kansas City. But they could get to the dance. And also, you never know. I just watched Josh Allen have a really bad day against, against the Jets. I mean, you get to the Super Bowl... Anything can happen. You, you have a couple things go your way. You play really well. You have your best day of your life. And you're Nick Foles winning a Super Bowl beating Tom Brady. I mean, I think there's a great shot we're going to see in the NFC title game. Uh, Minnesota against Philly playing to go to the Super Bowl. And, you know, if you're right there, I, I think the Vikings have a shot at a Super Bowl. They're really awesome. They're 7-1. and one. They're even better now with TJ Hawkinson. They're so dangerous to play. I mean, I really, Dalvin Cook at running back. 
You've got Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, TJ Hawkinson, receiving weapons everywhere. And Kirk Cousins. I talked you know, last episode about someone wrote in on Patreon. I think it was ENK. Shout out to him. If you're on Patreon, you're awesome. Um, ENK wrote in with a question saying, like, are we too hard on Russell Wilson, the quarterback in Denver? And I, I, my answer is no. I think people should be very critical of Russell Wilson. Uh, he's kind of weird. He's kind of aloof. But I see a lot of parallels between Kirk Cousins and Russell Wilson. They're, they're kind of both goofy, really religious, and super nice family men. And they always say the right thing. They always try to. Uh, there's a bit of cheesiness to both Russ and Kirk Cousins. But here's the difference between Kirk Cousins and Russell Wilson. Kirk has kind of an edge. And we're starting to see more of it as the year goes on. Like, He's always said that quote, you like that? Which is such a funny way for a Midwest guy to talk trash, right? But we're seeing more and more of Kirk Cousins' personality. You see moments of him celebrating with a chain on. You see him beating his old team. Like, I I really like the more we see of Kirk Cousins' personality and kind of the edge, the authenticity of him to be like, yeah, man, I want to win. I'm angry. I hate my failures. I'm running at football. I want to show the world what I can do. And I, I think that this year is Kirk Cousins' You know, doing the gritty in the locker room and having chains on and doing silly stuff. That's the moments you're missing with Russell Wilson. There are very, there's a lot of parallels, parallels between Russ and Kirk Cousins. They're both goofy, like really family friendly. They're like Disney Channel stars that play quarterback in the NFL. But Kirk has a little bit more of an edge and more authenticity that we just don't see from Russell Wilson. So I find Kirk highly likable and, uh, I'm excited for the future of the Vikings this year. I think they've got a chance to make a really deep run and maybe even win a Super Bowl. By the way, last thing worth shouting out in this football game. uh, It's worth mentioning, Washington had these really cool all-black uniforms. Black uh, uniforms, black helmets. Uh, I don't have much more to say, but I I thought it looked really clean. I like the look. All-black is awesome. And the way, I mean, the the Washington on the front, it just looked really cool. I like the all-black uniforms that Washington wore on Sunday. Okay, uh, we got to talk about, oh man, you know, I forgot to say something, by the way, Josh Allen, the Bills quarterback is dealing with a, well, I don't know how to even say this. Let me just like kind of leave a thread out there. There is potential that Josh Allen is injured. He's got, he's getting evaluated for UCL injury in his elbow. Um, who knows what that really means? It could be nothing. It could be a big deal. I don't know. We're waiting on more details, but just, I want to throw that out there now. Uh, so don't forget to say it. There is rumors that Josh Allen might have an elbow injury, which is a pretty big deal if if he is. He's the Buffalo Bills quarterback. He's, I think, the best quarterback in the NFL. Frankly, him or Patrick Mahomes are right there. And him his injury would be a big deal. But uh, I don't want to make a big deal of it really until we know what the consequences are and if he really is even, in fact, injured. He's getting evaluated, so uh, time will tell there. Now, Seattle beat Arizona 31 to 21 this past weekend. And Seattle's now 6 and 3. They're first in the NFC West. Arizona on the flip side is 3 and 6 and they are last in that division. Once again, once again I say this like every week it feels like Kyler Murray failed to deliver in a big moment once again. And I'm I'm surprised that today, Tuesday as I talk to you guys, that Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury still has a job. I thought for sure, I watched this game live, I'm like, this dude's getting fired. Nothing personal against Cliff Kingsbury. 
but it's not working. And Sunday was an absolute failure for the Cardinals offense. Arizona's offense was a disaster. False starts, dropped passes, poor pass protection. The offensive line was horrible. Missed reads by Kyler Murray, which I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's not getting good coaching. It was so bad. And whenever an entire offense falls apart, it's a failure in leadership and a failure in coaching. Cliff Kingsbury is failing as a head coach and a leader. And his quarterback, Kyler Murray, isn't much better. Kyler Murray, like the thing he's got to get criticized for, he doesn't rally his troops. I have talked through the years. Some of my favorite quarterbacks are guys who maybe they're not the most talented, but they bring the best out of the teammates around them. Kyler never does any of that, man. He never, ever, ever steps up as a leader when you need to see it. And, you know, Arizona had 12 penalties in this game. Uh, Their quarterback, Kyler Murray, he's got a $230 million contract. Kyler got outplayed by Geno Smith, who he's only making... Geno Smith is making $3.5 million this year. He does not have a long-term contract. Getting outplayed by that guy, if you're Kyler Murray, is a disgusting tragedy. Like, it's not a knock against Geno Smith. It's bad optics, man. We pay you to play really well and deliver, and Kyler is not. It's It's got to be said. Kyler had a fumble. He was sacked five times. The offensive line is struggling. Kyler Murray missed a couple reads. He had a throw where a slant was open. He took a bad sack instead. Uh, Arizona had back-to-back false starts. A third and eight became a third and 18. Robbie Anderson dropped a pass on third down. There was even a trick play. They ran on third and 17. They ran a double pass, and both passes were forward. That's an illegal forward pass. Like, oh my gosh, Arizona looked so disorganized, and they lacked details, which I've said about them all year. This was the culmination of everything that's gone wrong so far this year for Arizona coming together. And the difference between Seattle and Arizona is just coaching. I mean, I don't think talent-wise, Seattle and Arizona are that far apart. They got talented receivers. They got good players all over the field. But it's the small details that matter. And Arizona is so, so bad at the small details. And they all add up. And think about it. This year was supposed to be the Arizona Cardinals year. The Rams have a Super Bowl hangover. Uh, the 49ers lost their quarterback, Trey Lance, week two with an injury. Seattle lost Russell Wilson. Now, Seattle's been better than anyone expected, right? Geno Smith has played outstanding. But Arizona has had an opportunity this year with the rest of the division in a compromised position. And they can't capitalize. In fact, Arizona's not only, they're not even close. They're last in their division. You got to get a new head coach if you are Arizona. You got Kyler Murray, a quarterback who I've been critical of the guy. He's not an impressive leader. He doesn't deliver in big moments, but he has talent. Like, I can't imagine how good he would look with Sean Payton coaching him. I I would think a great offensive coach could get good stuff out of him. I I would love it if Arizona hired Eric Bieniemy, the head coach out of Kansas City. Like, that creative play design, that mind working with Kyler Murray, the sky's the limit. So I, I want another coach in Arizona. I'm not hating on Cliff, but he's made his millions. He's got a great house. He can afford to lose his job. And when Kyler Murray's throwing to DeAndre Hopkins and can't look great, I mean, can you imagine if Aaron Rodgers and the Packers had DeAndre Hopkins? They would have won. They would have beat the Lions this past weekend. So Arizona's a disaster. They have overpaid Kyler Murray, but now they're stuck with him. And 
they got to get a new head coach in Arizona because you got to find some way to see if you can fix what's wrong. Kyler Murray is underperforming. The team is a disaster. Their details are awful. They're getting out coached every single week. And at this point, the only solution is Arizona has to fire Cliff Kingsbury, bring in a new coach. I, I would throw out Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator in Kansas City, would be, I think, a brilliant fit to be a play-designing, play-caller, whatever the word is, to put Kyler Murray in good situations week in and week out. Another name. Uh, what if they just pay Sean Payton like $100 million? I, I think you got to trade the rights for him from New Orleans. But, man, I just – the problem right now in Arizona is Cliff Kingsbury. I, it pains me to say that. I root for him as a person. He's kind of a fun guy in interviews. But, man, is he doing a poor job in Arizona. And against Seattle, that, that was the prime example. They were a disaster on Sunday. And it's coaching. Like, the problem is coaching and leadership. And you're not getting rid of Kyler. So the only other – move you can make is replace the coach and get a better one who can hopefully uh, put Kyler in better positions to be successful and make sure, gosh, make sure he's not missing reads on important key downs. All right. Uh, wow, that was kind of a rant. I didn't mean to do a rant there, but uh, I guess I got to call that video. I'll do a breakout on YouTube, probably title it like Arizona's got to fire Cliff Kingsbury. I didn't realize that's what I had to say, but it just came out of me. Um, now, I watched Monday Night Football last night. I, I have to mention it. I feel weird. Like, I, I even waited to record this show until after Monday Night Football, and then I was up too late, and I just went to bed last night. So I feel like I have to talk about it, but it Monday Night Football was not that interesting to me. Uh, Baltimore beat New Orleans 27-13. I tried, man. The game was a slog. It wasn't great. Uh, the Saints are a struggling team. They never had a lead once in the game. It was just... It didn't even really challenge Baltimore at all. It was 14 to three, then 27 to six, and ultimately 27 to 13. The Saints quarterback situation is really holding them back. Currently, Andy Dalton is their starting quarterback, and I believe this team has talent where if New Orleans can ever get a great quarterback, I, I would love to see them quarterbacked by Bryce Young, the quarterback out of Alabama. I think he could win games in New Orleans. They could be a really good threat because they have talented players everywhere. And I think a better defense than people realize, but quarterback is holding them back. And uh, I think a story of this game, Monday Night Football, is that Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson is just so impressive. You know, his top receiver, Rashad Bateman, is out on the IR. Uh, Mark Andrews, his top you know, tight end, is probably the best, best receiver on the team, Pro Bowl tight end Mark Andrews. Didn't play in this game. His top two running backs didn't play. And yet, Lamar, as he always does, finds a way to still have a great game. He completed a pass to 10 different receivers. Let that sink in. If you watch his box score, you're like, it's unbelievable, dude. He had only, there were two guys that had two receptions, and that's it. Everyone caught one pass, basically, on the entire Baltimore Ravens team. They had 12 completed passes. Lamar was 12 for 22. Um... He ran for 82 yards. He threw for 133. And Lamar put together multiple long, impressive scoring drives. And they won easily. For him to do that without the core starters around him, throwing to literally 35-year-old Deshaun Jackson, who I love, but, like, man, he is past his prime. I find it impressive. You know, the Ravens had an 11-play, 76-yard touchdown drive, a 12-play, 81-yard touchdown drive. 12 plays, 61 yards, and a field goal. 
You put up 27 points with basically backups. I think that just says a lot about Lamar Jackson. Week in and week out, I talk about how they got to pay the guy. And they will pay the guy. But like this, this game, the story to me, Monday Night Football, in a game that didn't have a lot of really interesting storylines, the story was, wow, Lamar Jackson continues week in and week out to find a way, despite the odds stacked against him. And uh, I just, I love the guy. He's awesome. He's the heart and soul of that franchise, and he delivers every time I watch him. Now, um, Tom Brady and Tampa beat the Rams 16-13. to Tampa is now 4-5, and five, and the Buccaneers are trying to keep their season alive. I talked about how this is interesting because maybe Tom Brady, with the divorce finalized, can kind of move forward and focus on football. And... I thought this game this past weekend, beating L.A., I think it could be the beginning of kind of a comeback to the Buccaneers season. This game was kind of a classic Tom Brady moment. Tom Brady got the ball, first and 10 at the 40-yard line, his own 40-yard line, with 44 seconds left and zero timeouts. Down 13-9, to and Tom Brady put together the game-winning touchdown drive. It felt like watching Tom Brady with my dad as a child. Took me back. Couple big throws. Uh, I have no idea why the Rams were allowing the Buccaneers, by the way, to have so much space on the sideline. I I don't get it. Like, it just allow them to get 10 yards and run out of bounds. I don't know why. But Tom Brady put together a 60-yard touchdown drive in 35 seconds to win the game. It was wild. It was fun. And again, I think this could be the beginning of kind of a comeback for Tampa. They're four and five. And if they want to make the playoffs or win their division, that final drive has to be the first step toward Tampa making some momentum and winning more games because it wasn't a great game all game, but Tom Brady turned it on at the end. And I hope that final moment maybe could be the leaping off point to help them the rest of the year. If it's not, the year is over. Like they're four and five. They got to get going now. It's now or never. And if this game is any example, when it's... Now or never, and Tom Brady's got nothing to lose, he he finds a way to deliver every single time. He always has his entire career. He did in this game, and the rest of the year now is, hey, Tom Brady, it's a fourth quarter. You got to deliver. You got to make it happen, and I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I have confidence that Tom Brady can do it. I, I don't know how he's played as long as he has. I have learned in my career covering sports, you, you just you don't succeed when you doubt Tom Brady. You give him the benefit of the doubt until he gives you a reason to believe against him. And um, maybe this is the year that Tom Brady starts to wither away and fall apart. But I wouldn't be shocked if this is the year that Tom Brady starts four and five and makes a resurgence, wins the division anyway, makes a playoff push and maybe even (laughs) makes a playoff run because that's Tom Brady. When you back him into a wall and you put him in a corner, he finds a way to squirrel his way out of it and succeed anyway. He does it every time. He has through his entire career, and uh, we'll, we'll track it as the rest of the year goes on, but there's a chance this is the beginning of something for the Buccaneers. All right. Um, on Sunday night football, Kansas City beat Tennessee 20-17 to in overtime. Honestly, this was a winnable game for Tennessee. I feel like I almost owe them kind of an apology. I was so certain they were going to lose when I did my week uh, preview, weekend preview uh, last episode. And I was sweating bullets. I was watching this game on Sunday night like, 
am I am I gonna look like an idiot here? Am I dead wrong? <laughs> like I might be, because they almost won. And ultimately, the Titans' quarterback situation held them back. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, their starter, did not play. He's apparently dealing with an ankle injury. So rookie quarterback Malik Willis made his second ever NFL start, a second one back to back. And man, this guy. Malik Willis is just not ready. I'm not hating on the guy. He's, I, I love him as a human being. Um, and Tennessee actually led 14 to nine at halftime. Uh, they led 17 to nine until KC tied it with around three minutes left in the game. Like it, Tennessee had a chance here and you know, the Titans defense played a great game. Um, they gave their team an opportunity to win. Derrick Henry ran for 115 yards and two touchdowns. He was fun to watch, man. Derrick Henry, dude. I mean, the joy of this football game is getting to watch Derrick Henry and Patrick Mahomes, two of the best players in the NFL, go head-to-head and both make plays all night. But if Ryan Tannehill had been able to play in this football game, I think Tennessee would have won. I really believe that. That's the difference. Malik Willis is only able to complete five passes all game long. And you're not going to beat Kansas City and Mahomes only completing five passes during a game. It's just, like, even in overtime, the Titans' defense... Gave Tennessee a chance. They stopped Kansas City. They held them to only a field goal. And when the Titans got the ball, Malik Willis couldn't do anything. He took two really bad sacks. And again, Malik Willis finished on the day 5 for 16 passing with 80 yards, a couple sacks. A crazy contrast to Patrick Mahomes, who, I mean, man, it was so much fun in this game to watch Patrick Mahomes play football. He threw 68 passes. He was 43 for 68 passing Threw for 446 yards, a touchdown, a pick. Um, Patrick also ran for 63 yards and a touchdown on top of running for the clutch two-point conversion to tie the game and force overtime. Like, Patrick Mahomes made so many big plays in this game. It was it was crazy. Like, his, his ability to move around and use his legs. I mean, I think the focus often gets put on to Patrick Mahomes' crazy throws, but... A lot of the reason we see Patrick Mahomes making crazy throws is because he's extending plays and rolling left and rolling right and doing crazy stuff. And um, I just hope people appreciate Patrick Mahomes because he's special. He's so fun to watch. And um, I think that not having Ryan Tannehill was the difference in this football game. If Ryan Tannehill plays, the Titans would have beat Kansas City on Sunday, which actually, to be honest... It, Makes me feel even more confident in Tennessee. Like, hey, you you took KC to overtime with Malik Willis at quarterback? Wow, you're better than I thought. So, actually, hey, my apologies, Tennessee. I was wrong. You guys are even better than I thought you were. And Derrick Henry's a monster. And I, I, I'm not a... Ryan Tannehill gets a lot of hate. Ryan Tannehill's a really competent quarterback. And he's great in big moments. He's good on fourth down. He can run around a little bit. He can keep plays alive. I... Ryan Tannehill is like the Stetson Bennett of the NFL. Stetson Bennett's a quarterback at Georgia who's never going to be a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. He's thrown for like 11 touchdown passes this year. I think I think actually Stetson Bennett, 11 touchdown passes, six touchdown runs, and three interceptions. Someone looked that up. I think I'm dead right on that. But you're not going to see Stetson Bennett talked about as a Heisman Trophy winning candidate. But Stetson Bennett makes plays, dude. He really does play at a high level. And I have confidence that Stetson Bennett can go head-to-head with a quarterback like C.J. Stroud. And what we're seeing is Tennessee is a really great football team, a good defense, an incredible running game. And they got Ryan Tannehill, who, 
for all the flack he gets, he's certainly not Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, but the dude can make plays. And I actually think that maybe Tennessee is the most underappreciated and overlooked team in the NFL right now where everyone's talking about Kansas City and Buffalo uh, potentially winning a Super Bowl this year. The dark horse in the AFC is A, Miami, but B, Tennessee. Tennessee, they've got a team built to win football games in January, in the cold, in the playoffs. And if any team could go to Buffalo and win in a cold, like, you know, can Josh Allen cut the ball through 50-mile-an-hour wins? Probably. But you know what really helps when it's you're playing a game in Buffalo in January with crazy wind? Just running the ball with Derrick Henry for like 500 yards. So uh, Tennessee, man, I feel like I owe you guys an apology. And Tennessee is maybe a lot more of a contender than I previously thought. Detroit beat Green Bay 15-9 to this past weekend. The Lions have beat the Packers. It's a great moment for them. Uh, definitely this is the lowest point of the year for the Green Bay Packers. They are now 3-6. and six. They've lost to the Lions. And in this game, Aaron Rodgers, the Packers quarterback, had three interceptions. Two of them were kind of fluky. Uh, both of them were on the goal line, Those two, the first two. One got tipped on first and goal, got picked off. I think the ball literally bounced off a defensive lineman's helmet. In fact, it did. It got tipped in the air and picked off. Um, the second one was a sweet play by... Lions rookie defensive end Aiden Hutchinson. The Packers tried to, on fourth and goal, they were rolling right with Aaron Rodgers. They tried to throw back left to their left tackle, David Bakhtiari. Kind of a trick play, but it didn't work. Aiden Aiden Hutchinson read it and picked off the ball. Great play by him. His third interception, Aaron Rodgers' third third interception, to be more clear, was probably his worst of the day. Uh, The defender undercut Robert Tanyan. It was a throw down the seam. Not a great play there. You know, the Packers' lack of receiving weapons is just killing them, to be honest. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, we're seeing him start to force throws and try to make plays. And it's it's weird uh, to see Aaron so frustrated that he's actually taking chances. Because Aaron, historically, is a guy known for not throwing interceptions and being very safe with the football, even maybe to his team's detriment. Like, people accuse Aaron sometimes of protecting his stats rather than trying to win games and make plays. And I'm just not really sure why Green Bay decided to give Aaron Rodgers a massive contract extension if they weren't going to support him. I just, I don't know why they didn't trade for anybody at the trade deadline. I don't know why they didn't draft a receiver in the first round. I don't know why. I mean, they better go get Odell Beckham Jr. or something, right? Like, I, it's shocking to me, the lack of support the Packers have given Aaron Rodgers. And here's how the game ended. The Packers had the ball. 55 seconds left in the game. First and 10 at the 17-yard line going in. They are 17 yards from the end zone, down six points. They need a touchdown to win. If you told me, first and 10, 17-yard line, 15 seconds left, or sorry, 55, 55 seconds left. First and 10, 17-yard line. You told me you put Aaron Rodgers in that situation. I'd tell you, he's going to win the game. He's Aaron stinking Rodgers, man. And uh, no, Aaron did not win in that situation. Again, first and 10, 17-yard line, 55 seconds left. Plenty of time. You're in a great position. And the Packers threw four incomplete passes. It could not have been more clear and obvious that the Green Bay Packers just do not have a single receiver. 
who can win a one-on-one matchup. They got nobody who can win outside. And Green Bay is in bad shape right now, man. Uh, it's unfortunate. They lost by six points, and earlier in the game, they went for it on a fourth and goal. Aaron got picked off. They could have kicked a field goal there, and if they'd kicked a field goal in that moment, then later on fourth and 10 on the 17-yard line, they would have been down only three points. They could have kicked the game-tying field goal and at least forced overtime. Um, it's just a... The Packers, man, they had a lot of good drives uh, that ended with zero points. 13 plays, 88 yards, interception on the goal line, zero points. Um, seven plays, 47 yards, interception on fourth and goal. The Packers had a 12-play drive, 61 yards, ended on fourth and three. Eight plays, 40 yards, ended on fourth and 10 on the 17-yard line. Like, the Packers' offense is struggling, and it's just, it's so clear and obvious. I, they need a receiver. They Better go get Odell Beckham Jr. I don't care how you offer him. And what is unfortunate about Green Bay is they don't seem to realize they're not a big draw. Like, Green Bay, Wisconsin is not a place a free agent receiver like Odell Beckham Jr. would want to go. So you got to pay a premium. You got to pay more money to convince guys to go there. They seem completely unwilling to spend money. And I I just don't get it. I I really do not understand why they would give all this money to Aaron Rodgers, bring him back, and and not support him. Um, Now, for the Lions, this game was a great result. I don't think it's a coincidence that Detroit won when their defense finally played well. I mean, on on paper, it's the best defensive performance of the year by the Lions. Um, But Green Bay is is 3-6, and and they've lost five games in a row. And look ahead for the Green Bay Packers. They play Dallas. Then they play Tennessee. Tennessee just took KC to overtime with a backup quarterback. Then they play Philly, who's undefeated. So, man, the Packers are at least going to be 4-8, and eight, but more likely 3-9 and nine in a couple of weeks. And uh, it's terrible. I mean, the Packers are just in the worst position they've been in in years. Now, let's end the show with college football. Um, let me say first real quick, if you're listening today, uh, I want to give you a reminder, uh, while the show is uploading today, I'm going to post on Patreon, the thread for Friday's episode. So you can submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas on Patreon. If you're listening right now and you're a Patreon subscriber or supporter, maybe is a better word, um, go to Patreon, write in a question or a comment or submission for the show I'll, I'll do the show on Friday this week, and I'd love to answer your questions. I feel like I never do that, and in fact, I've had such a truncated schedule. I haven't even really been doing Tuesdays and Fridays because I've been crazy busy. This is the first week in forever that I'm, I'm fully caught up, and I'm in a great position. So um, we're recording later this week on Friday. Submit your questions on Patreon. Now, let's talk about college football week 10. The biggest game of the weekend was kind of a letdown. I'm not going to lie. I was so excited for what was at the time, the number one team in the nation, Tennessee on the road at number three, Georgia and Georgia won convincingly. Uh, they were up 24 to six at halftime. Then it was 27 to six. Uh, Tennessee did get a touchdown with four minutes left to make it 27 to 13, but Georgia's defense was incredible. And it felt like the moment was a little too big for Tennessee. They never looked comfortable. They had a bunch of false starts. Their offensive line struggled with penalties. I think the crowd plus the pressure of the moment 
plus the late shift by George's defense, it, it just led to a bunch of false starts. And Tennessee's quarterback, Hendon Hooker, missed a couple shots deep. He didn't throw a touchdown pass in this game, which is kind of shocking. He did get picked off. So not a great game for Tennessee. The guy that shined in this game, in my opinion, who I think has shined all year for Georgia and does not get the love he deserves. Georgia's quarterback, Stetson Bennett, man. He's not a Heisman Trophy candidate. He's not going to put up crazy gaudy numbers, but Stetson Bennett is balling. Like, people got to give him some respect. Last year, I thought Stetson Bennett was led to a national title by a great team. It was a great team that took Stetson Bennett to a national title. Then Georgia lost a bunch of talent. They had 15 guys drafted. This year, Stetson Bennett is the one leading the way. He's not being led. He's doing the leading. Stetson Bennett is leading Georgia to a national title. And if Stetson Bennett had more touchdown passes, like he would be a Heisman Trophy contender. Absolutely. He has played so well in big moments. And people don't give him respect because he's on a great football team. But I can't wait for the day we get to watch Stetson Bennett go toe-to-toe with C.J. Stroud. I would not have said that a year ago. But I've watched Stetson Bennett get better and better. He's making plays. He's running around. He's throwing deep balls. He's accurate. He's on time. He's he's killing it. And Stetson Bennett's come such a long way. It's crazy to see. I I mean, I, I expected a better game here. I, I probably shouldn't be surprised that Georgia won and made it seem so easy. But I think that the thing that people aren't paying attention to with Georgia, Stetson Bennett is kind of an overlooked guy. He was never a star, but this year, dude, he's playing different. He's playing better, and I, I really think there's going to be a day, hopefully in the college football playoff, where we see Georgia play Ohio State and C.J. Stroud, and I think Stetson Bennett's going to go toe-to-toe, throw-for-throw against an elite quarterback like C.J. Stroud, and that's a really, really exciting thought. Now, um, LSU beat Alabama 32-31 to this past weekend in overtime, It was a night game at LSU. I got to admit, that's one of my dreams. To go to Death Valley, to see a night game, maybe against Alabama. Like that rivalry, oh my gosh, it was awesome. This is Alabama's second loss of the year. So this pretty much completely eliminates Alabama from making the college football playoff. Feels like Kirby Smart and Georgia have really overtaken Nick Saban in Alabama. And Georgia now sits at the top of the college football world. And I'm really curious if in the next year or two, Nick Saban can reclaim his throne. Or could this be the beginning of kind of the decline of Nick Saban in Alabama? You see a lot of coaches, you know, I think of um, Frank Beamer or an unpopular name, but Joe Paterno. Coaches that coached until they were like 100 years old, like decrepit old men that could barely walk, still coaching college football. They were dominant at at a point. And then they never retired and they just kept coaching and coaching and coaching. Is this the moment and maybe the beginning of that moment for Nick Saban where he's never going to leave, he's going to coach forever, but get decreasingly successful as time goes on? Or can Nick Saban bounce back at some point in the next year or two and and reclaim his throne at the top of college football? It's a storyline to watch that I'm really interested in. Now, this was a massive win for LSU head coach Brian Kelly. Some people were very, very skeptical when he got hired. You know, people were saying, ah, he's overrated. He was carried by Notre Dame. I loved it. I always said, Brian Kelly's an awesome coach. I think he's bigger than, L- than Notre Dame. 
Uh, and so far in year one, at LSU, Brian Kelly is 7-2. and two. He's now got a win over Alabama. I think this win really helps legitimize him in the state of Louisiana. It's incredible. Now, Alabama quarterback Bryce Young, I would not say he had a bad game. He threw for over 300 yards, but this definitely was not the best game I've ever seen Bryce Young play. He threw an interception in the end zone. He completed less than 50% of his passes. He did clutch it up and put together a nice game-tying drive at the end. And high-pressure situations. If you're an NFL person considering drafting Bryce Young, I got to say, I have never seen Bryce Young seem to be even bothered by a big situation in a game. Um, you know, plus, Bryce Young did what he could to win. Like, he scored a touchdown in overtime. They, they did what they could. You know, Alabama, they score a touchdown in overtime. They take a 31-24 lead. Did their part. But I want to talk, before we get into what happened in overtime, LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels was awesome. Three total touchdowns, zero turnovers. He ran for 95 yards and a touchdown. I'm so curious how the NFL is going to view Jaden Daniels come time for the NFL draft because he's really athletic. He's got a pretty good arm. I think he could be a second or third round steal, maybe similar to Jalen Hurts out of Oklahoma who went to the Eagles. I mean, I there's a couple teams in the market for a second or third round quarterback and maybe uh, Jaden Daniels is one of those guys. Now, the way this game ended was mwah, chef's kiss beautiful. It brought me back to Utah's win over USC earlier this year. Alabama scored first in overtime. They took a 31-24 lead. Then LSU got the ball. They scored a touchdown. They make it 30-31. to And then LSU went for two. They said, we are going for the win here and now. And I love the attitude. Anytime a coach says, let's end it here and now. It acknowledges the ability of your opponent. I think it's very respectful, actually, to your opponent to say, look, we think you're really good. We want to end this game now because we don't want to keep going further into overtime against Bryce Young, your starting quarterback, and your really talented football team. LSU said, we got a shot to end the game right now. Let's do it now. And uh, they did. I love the attitude. It's a huge win for Brian Kelly and LSU, and I'm really happy for them. Again, legitimize as a coach that I believed in. I, I was a huge believer in Brian Kelly. Watching and winning, if you like, aha, uh-huh. I wasn't crazy. Notre Dame beat Clemson 35-14 to um, this past weekend. It was a dominating performance by Notre Dame. And kind of a surprise. Clemson didn't score until they were down 28-0 to in the fourth quarter. Notre Dame blocked their sixth punt of the year. Took it for a touchdown, which, by the way, for Notre Dame, they've blocked six punts this year. That's unreal. Um, Clemson losing pretty much removes them from all possibility of making the college football playoff. They're a one-loss team now. And amongst all the other one-loss college football teams, Clemson is not the best. I mean, Oregon, for example, his only loss is Georgia, uh, is going to have a better shot at making the college football playoff. Maybe later Michigan. If Michigan loses to Ohio State, they're going to get in with one loss over a one-loss Clemson team. Clemson losing really is going to open the door for some other team to make the college football playoff. I think it makes things very, very interesting. Now, uh, it was kind of a crazy weekend in college football because Alabama lost, Clemson lost. Two teams I think were still in college football playoff contention are out. Bama was one of those one-loss teams that had a better shot than most. They're gone. So, uh, kind of a wild shakeup in college football, but I want to talk about the Clemson quarterback situation Clemson quarterback DJ Uyungle was the starting quarterback for this game. He did not play well. 
hit a pick six. Um, there was a screen pass I watched DJ throw wildly off target. He threw like a swing route literally behind Will Shipley out of bounds, lost seven yards, created a third and 17 situation. Woefully unimpressed uh, with DJ Uwe Ungle. I'm a Yoda. Woefully unimpressed was I. I can't even talk, but... Um, now, when Clemson was down 14-0 to in the third quarter, they tried putting their true freshman quarterback, Cade Klubnik, in. And unlike the Syracuse game earlier this year, he couldn't rescue Clemson. He threw an interception, uh, was quickly put back on the bench. It's unfortunate. I would really like to see Cade Klubnik actually get a legitimate shot to start a football game instead of just consistently being put in when they're like, hey, rescue us. It's not going well. Maybe you can save us. I don't like throwing Hail Marys with Cade Klubnik. How about you actually put him in and give him a real legitimate shot? I remain confused and fascinated by the Clemson quarterback situation. I am not sure why Dabo Sweeney, their head coach, remains so committed, unwaveringly committed to DJ Uwe Ungale. I don't get it. I don't know what's going on there. I don't... Does... Does DJ have pictures of Dabo doing crazy stuff? Like, what does he have on him? I don't. Is he blackmailing him? Like, why is DJ still the quarterback at Clemson? I don't get it. I'm joking there. But my point is, like, I really hope Clemson makes a move at some point to start Cade Clemson. Like, I want to see the guy get a real shot, not just come in in the second half when you're down a bunch, expected to maybe save the day. I don't know. Either way, Notre Dame dominated. I thought it was a good day for Notre Dame and their former head coach, Brian Kelly. Notre Dame dominated up front. They put a lot of pressure on DJ Uyungle on the defensive line. Their offensive line was incredible. Notre Dame ran for 263 yards. And uh, not a bad first year for Notre Dame uh, Marcus Freeman. He's now 6-3, and three, bowl eligible. And uh, I know I was, I was bad-mouthing him the other day, but I, I like bad-mouthing the program. I remember when Brian Kelly left Notre Dame, I was like, I think, I think Brian Kelly's better than Notre Dame. I don't think Notre Dame's this crazy good job. But I got nothing against Marcus Freeman. He's an awesome dude. Great to see him win. And uh, I like watching Notre Dame upset Clemson this past weekend. Now, there's one more game I thought was interesting this past weekend. Texas beat K-State 34-27. to Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers played well. He had two touchdowns, no turnovers. Texas running back B. John Robinson had... 30 carries for 209 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, sorry, excuse me. Just one touchdown run. Not two, just one. I, I'm getting carried away here. Now, I don't know that I would draft Bijan Robinson in the first round because I just wouldn't draft any running back in the first round. But Bijan Robinson is a guy that's going to get drafted probably in the second or third round of the NFL draft and become a day one starter and really, really impress a lot of people. Another storyline here in this football game is that K-State's quarterback, Adrian Martinez, came back from an injury in this football game, and he threw a bad interception before halftime. That led to a Texas touchdown. In fact, Texas led at halftime 31-10. to And I'm not trying to create problems, but it feels like there should be a quarterback controversy in Manhattan, Kansas, where K-State is, because I'm not going to lie, I thought maybe, when they were down 31-10 to at halftime, I'm like, Maybe you should have started your backup quarterback, your other quarterback, Will Howard. You know, he had four touchdown passes in your previous win, uh, 48-0 to over Oklahoma State. It was interesting they put Adrian Martinez back in, despite what happened. And I, I just wonder, I don't know what the narrative is right now in Manhattan, Kansas, amongst K-State fans and their, their students, but 
you would think there's people saying, we should probably play the other quarterback. Adrian Martinez didn't get it done. Now, Adrian Martinez is more talented. He's got a bigger arm. He can run around and make plays with his legs. I'm not sure he's better, though. Talent doesn't mean you're a better quarterback, necessarily. So, he's another athletic quarterback, though, in college football. And I'm curious how the NFL is going to view him, because I think of Anthony Richardson, who is a powerhouse. Huge arm, can run. Most talented physically quarterback in college football is Anthony Richardson. Then you got Adrian Martinez and Jaden Daniels. There are teams in the NFL right now, the Giants, the Saints, the Lions, Washington, Denver. A lot of teams that could draft a quarterback in the second or third round. And Adrian Martinez is another guy that I could see a team taking a flyer on and saying, we're going to teach this guy to play quarterback because he's really talented. So keep your eye on that. That's really interesting. Now, here are the college football rankings after week 10. The AP top 25, uh, I think we got to wait a little while till the college football playoff makes another official rankings. Uh, but number one right now in college football is 9-0, Georgia. Number two, according to the AP, the Associated Press top 25. Ohio State's number two at 9-0. Michigan is number three, also 9-0. And number four in the nation right now is their highest ranking yet, TCU. Also 9-0. So the top four teams are all 9-0. Three teams fell this weekend after losing. Tennessee, Alabama, and Clemson. The number five team in the country is 8-1 Tennessee. Number six in the nation is 8-1 Oregon. Both teams' only loss is Georgia, but Tennessee's loss to Georgia was a little better than Georgia's dominating blowout over Oregon. The number 17 in the nation is LSU at 7-2. They just beat Alabama. The number eight team in the nation is 8-1 USC. Number nine is eight and one UCLA, three Pac-12 teams in the top 10, which is kind of interesting. And the number 10 team in the nation is Alabama at seven and two. Now, things to pay attention to. On November 26th, Michigan plays at Ohio State. That's going to be really interesting. I'm very excited to see what happens. I would imagine Ohio State is going to beat Michigan, but Michigan even with one loss, still has a good chance to make it into the college football playoff at this point, in my mind, because they could be the best of the one-loss teams remaining. And there's only four teams undefeated. That's not going to stay that way. By the end of the year, the potential, at best right now, you're going to have 9-0 Georgia, 9-0, or sorry, undefeated Georgia, undefeated Ohio State or Michigan, depending on who wins their head-to-head game and then potentially an undefeated TCU team. You can only have three right now based on who's lost, so that's really interesting to me. Another good matchup is November 19, UCLA against USC. Both teams only have one loss, and the Pac-12 title game is going to be Oregon against the winner of USC-UCLA. There is a small chance that a Pac-12 school could make it into the college football playoff, like a one-loss Oregon, a one-loss USC or UCLA, because of who's lost ahead of them. If, especially if TCU loses and then you've got a couple one-loss teams getting in, there's a really good chance the Pac-12 uh, with one loss or a one-loss Michigan team is going to make it into the college football playoff. Guys, I want to look up one thing real quick. I, I don't think any college football playoff rankings have come out. Uh, I think they kind of got a while to wait. College football playoff rankings. I can't even... Jeez. Playoff rankings after week 10. Let's see. I don't think any new ones are out, but let's find out. Yeah, so we have we have predictions. It's going to be a while until uh, we get a real college football playoff ranking. 
So I, I would have liked to see, but everything I'm seeing is just the the Associated Press rankings because the college football playoff is kind of this weird governing body that does its own thing, and I want to wait a while. I'm going to check every other source I can. I just don't. I don't think. I don't think we got. Yeah, we only have the AP Top 25. So um, that's the AP Top 25 in college football. I'm going to give you guys a treat. I'm going to zoom out as much as I possibly can. Seems like a fun way to end the show. Look, hi guys, it's me in my truck. You get to see everything. Look, hello. My name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.